Wow, good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, I'm already done. That was awesome. So, <laughs> gosh, praise God. I mean, it's just amazing what God's doing. A great morning of worship and uh, just celebrating what God's doing in our lives and our lives together. It takes a church, right? It takes a church to raise a family. It takes a church uh, to draw us closer to God, to help us, encourage us, and strengthen us, and challenge us. And so, I'm so thankful for you guys and love sharing life together. Have you ever taken a stand for something? Have you ever taken a stand? You know, it kind of goes against what everybody else is doing, but, but you just knew God had called you. And so you stood. Has that ever happened? You see, as followers of God, it's going to happen at some point. I mean, what we believe will clash with the way the world is. And, and so we won't just go through life if we're living for God, that just doing the same thing that everybody else does. There comes a point where we have to stand, where we have to say, no, I can't. Maybe for you that, that first came when you were in middle school or high school or college and, you know, everybody was sniffing it or smoking it or whatever else and you just came to a point where you said, no, I can't. It's not who I am. And God has a different plan. God has a different purpose. And you kept hearing in the back of your mind, right, you'll be cool, you'll be popular and all these things. But, but you came to the point you said, no, I'm going to make a stand. Or maybe, maybe for you it's even today. People at work, they're all going out, they're doing stuff and you just know, I, I, I'm not going to do it. It's not who I am. People in the neighborhood, hey, come do this. Come, uh, like, you want to be accepted, but at the same time, you're like, no, I can't. I know some guys here at church who deal with that. You know, when they travel internationally with their work and all the men are headed to a gentleman's club and they have to say, no, I'm not going to do it. Even their boss is going and like, no. Have you ever taken a stand? Maybe you're taking one today. This morning, we're going to look at three guys, three young men who took a stand. And we're going to see their life. And they put their lives on the line to take a stand. You know, for us, it's like we take a stand and it may cost us our job. It may cost us a raise. It may cost us popularity, as fleeting as that is. But, but for these guys, it was their life. And yet they stood. And they said, I want to follow God. And I want to do what he says. And my life is in his hands. And I'm trusting him. Well, welcome back to our series. We're in a great series called Daniel, and we're looking at the Old Testament book of Daniel, and it's so deep, it's so rich, and it's so powerful and relevant for where we live today, written 2,600 years ago, but the things they were facing are the same things we face as followers of God today. And this call in every one of our lives, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were 15 years old, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, came against their hometown of Jerusalem. He surrounded and besieged it, because the people had rebelled against God. God's own people had worshipped the gods of this world. And, and so they were, they were put in time out for 70 years, just like Jeremiah the prophet had told them. And, and so Daniel and his three friends, I mean, they were good-looking guys. They were sharp. They were smart. They were of nobility. They thought, hey, God's got a plan for us. We're going to maybe be king over Judah one day. And, and then they found their lives living in a pagan culture, taken away at 15 to live in Babylon. Their names were changed to Babylonian names like Belteshazzar, and, and they were studying Babylonian literature. But we saw in Daniel chapter 1 when they came and they said, hey, eat the king's food, drink the king's wine. Daniel finally stood up and said, no, can't do it. See, I had parents who brought me up in the word of God. I, I had other believers around me than God, and, and we know that that food's not right. We know that it was sacrificed idols. I'm not going to do it. And he took a stand. And God honored that. In Daniel chapter 2, Pastor Nick did a great job talking last week about how Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. And all the wise men in the land, nobody could interpret it. 
and they called Daniel. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God gave him the interpretation, and he interpreted the dream, and, and he was elevated in prominence there in Babylon, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and they're thinking, man, things are going great. Now we're in leadership here at this place. And then we come to Daniel chapter 3, and they have to decide, are we going to live for the things of the world, or are we going to stand for the things of God? If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me. Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some free Bibles for you in the back. love for you to take one. Also, maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online at YouVersion and follow along with what God's Word has to say. Uh, and we'll put the scripture on the screen. But pick up here, Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and they all came, the other provincial officials, assembled for the dedication of the image the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So picture the scene, right? Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man of the world this time, he calls all the officials together. He says, guys, we're going to all meet on this plane. I've been setting up this big image, having it built, this gold image. And so all the people are there. The place is packed out. Everybody's there. This image comes up. He brings in the royal band. The royal band starts to play. And he says, everybody worship. Everybody worship the image. Therefore, verse 7, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. See, here's the problem. If you were a Jew, you knew that God had given you the Ten Commandments. You had met God at Mount Sinai, your forefathers had, and you, they had passed on to you these Ten Commandments that God had said, number one, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And so here they are living in this pagan land, and now they're faced with this dilemma. Here's the king who's saying, whoever doesn't worship this big image is going to be thrown into a blazing fire. But I know that my God said, I shall have no other gods before him. So what are they going to do? Do they bow down and worship like everybody else? They go along with the crowd? Or do they stand? Now, before we think, well, that happened 2,600 years ago, that's really not relevant for us. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. I saw just the other day that in China, there was a guy in his village. He built a 100-foot statue. He asked everybody, all the villagers, to bow down and worship it. He even had a picture of it. Can you imagine if you're a believer living in North Korea? The decision you have to make. What will you do? Now, will that happen for us one day? I don't know, but I know what happens every day. Every day we have to make a decision of who we're going to worship. And we can fall in love with the gods, little g, of this land, of this culture. 
We can fall in love with the gods of success or winning at all costs. We can fall in love with the gods of money. <laughs> See, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is. Money can be used for good or bad, but it does say the love of money, and so easily we can run after the money. We're going to say, God, I can't invest my time and my energy and my resources in what you're doing, God, because I'm chasing this world and I'm chasing the lifestyle and I want to live that kind of life and the gods of this world beckon us still today. It could be a boyfriend. It could be a girlfriend. It could be a career. It could be a dream. Are there gods that clamor for your attention? Oh, yes, there are. What are you going to do? What decision will you make? At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and the pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So these astrologers run to the king and they say, hey, king, 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 listen, listen. And the music played and everybody fell face down. But, but there were some Jews, notice that, some Jews. It wasn't all of them, right? Some of them did worship the idol, but some didn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar, they didn't fall down. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now look, Nebuchadnezzar had favor for Daniel, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now we're not sure where Daniel is at this point. Daniel's probably, he's been elevated so high, he's probably running some other part of the kingdom. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar liked them. And so he brings them in and he says, hey guys, listen, listen, listen. These other guys, they came and they told me, I don't believe it, but they said that when the music played and everybody fell down to worship, they said you guys didn't do it. But I know, I know, I know, I know you guys did. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to bring the royal band back in. We're going to have them play. And you guys just fall down and worship and it's all good. And we'll kind of move on with life. And we'll just keep elevating you and promoting you and giving you a raise, giving you a bonus. It's, it's cool. It's great. Okay, so bring in the band, bring in the band. Everybody come on in. And look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Guys, this is so good. I mean, if you underline your Bible, underline this. Right there in front of the king, in front of the most powerful man in the world, here's what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Wow. <laughs> They're like, listen, listen, listen. I know you think you have power over us. I know you think that you can throw us into this fire. But, but listen, we don't have to defend ourselves to you because we're not living for you, king. In fact, we're not living for the things of this world. We're living for God. And we're going to stand for God regardless. We're going to stand for him. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
The God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow. That takes courage. That takes guts. And they stood up in front of the king and they said, hey, listen, king. You know what? Our God is bigger than you. Our God is able to save us. You can throw us into the fire. But our God can rescue us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your gods. We're going to worship him. Because our God has been faithful to us. Our God has been there for us. Our God loves us. And we are going to live our lives and stand for him. Wow. You guys, I get chills. I mean, that's just powerful. That's awesome. And that's the call in our lives. What do you stand for? What have you said in your life? Listen, I'm not going to compromise this. I don't care who it is. I'm not compromising. I'm not compromising my marriage. I'm not compromising my integrity. I'm not compromising my character. I'm not compromising on this. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. You see, before he was kind of like, come on, guys, it's all right, we'll figure it out. Now he's mad, right? His pride, his arrogance, he's the king. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Let me tell you something today. If you're taking notes, write this down. You can be in the center of God's will and still go through challenging times. You can be in the center of God's will and still face difficult times. You see, there, there's this you know, kind of thought out there that the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, that if you're walking with God, everything's going to be fine. You're going to have all this money. You're going to have all this success. You're gonna, but it's not true. There are people in the Bible who went through really challenging things. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. You see, maybe today, maybe today, maybe today, you feel like you're in the fire. Maybe you're in the fire just relationally. Things are tough. Maybe it's hard in your marriage. Maybe it's hard with a coworker at work. Maybe, maybe you're in a difficult spot. Maybe today it's, you feel like you're in the fire financially. Things are just hard. Maybe today you look at your life and just wonder, God, where are you? Did you see what's happening? Do you see what's going on? And God says, yeah, I see. And I'm with you. And I care about you. And I will deliver you. I am greater than whatever you face. I am stronger. And I will be with you. Just as it says, he says, I promise to never leave you or never forsake you. 
And that's what we see right here. Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Who is that? That is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That is Christ there with them in the midst of the fire. Our God is faithful. And maybe you feel like you're alone today. You are not alone. God is with you and God is for you. And God will uphold you with his mighty right arm. And I can imagine these guys, man, they're going headlong in the fire. They're like, okay, God, we're trusting you. You know, they're seeing all these soldiers. The fire is just eating them alive. And, and they go into the furnace and then they stand up and there's Jesus. And they're just like, yes, yes, yes. Do you see him today? God is here. God is with you. God is for you. God hasn't forgotten you. Even in the midst of the challenges, even in the midst of the fire, God is here. And God loves you. Nebuchadnezzar, wow, you know, he just had to be speechless. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Guys, you know what I love about God? Our God is a God of the details. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Our God is a God of the details. I, I mean, they didn't have a, a hair scorched. They didn't even have the smell of fire on them. You know, whatever you're facing today, listen, our God is a God of the details. He, he's there. He's with you. In every little thing, he's with you. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation and language who say anything about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. <laughs> wow. You see, your obedience, your obedience, it impacts so many others. Our obedience impacts people we don't even know and people we don't ever expect. I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have never thought, man, just being obedient to God and taking a stand is going to impact believers and followers of God 2,600 years later, and they had no clue it was going to impact Nebuchadnezzar like that. Your obedience impacts. If you're a father, if you're a mother, your obedience impacts. If you're a teacher, if you're a leader here at church and preschool children, students, if you lead a small group, your obedience impacts. If you're a boss or a coach, your obedience impacts. How you live your life impacts others. It's not just about you anymore. 
And God has called you, and God has called me to take a stand. In the midst of a pagan culture, in the midst of a pagan world, God has called us to stand for him. And our obedience impacts. It's amazing to me how the Christian life begins with us taking a stand, right? The Christian life, the beginning is, is baptism. It's not at the end, it's the beginning. And you stand in the water and you say to everybody, I am a follower of God. I've committed my life to him. I'm putting a stake in the ground and you're dying to your old way of life and you're being raised to walk a new life. But that's not the end. That's the beginning of the journey. And there comes points throughout the story that God's writing in you where you take a stand and say, I'm gonna follow God regardless of what everyone around me does. The people who've really impacted the world are the people who have stood when everyone else bowed to the idols of culture. That's what our world is looking for. And that's what God's calling you and me to do and to live. Today's a special day. Today's Father's Day. And I sat down with a couple of dads in our church, Tom Adama and Jason Crockrell, and we talked a little bit about influence and what that means being a father. I want you to watch this. Tom, Jason, tell me something that you learned from your father. You know, the thing that, that I think I learned most from my father is that, that hard work, that work ethic, and um, the desire to provide stability in the home, um, and that sense of safety and security and just this overall stability. Um, you know, nothing was really handed to him, um, and so in turn, he really didn't want to hand us anything. He wanted us to learn the, the, the need for hard work and, and the results that go along with it. And um, so I really feel like that's kind of what he passed along to us, to the next generation. What about you, Tom? What did you, what did you learn from your dad? I think it's similar. I think hard work's a big part of it, but my dad was um, in ministry, or still is in ministry, so it was hard work, um, but with an excellence twist to it. I think I learned a lot of my drive of excellence from my father, and trying to get it. The reason why you're working so hard is to, you know, bring glory to God and do things really, really well, so he gets the credit for it. I think we're all a product of you know, what people forward into us, and especially our dads, you know, and, and uh, my dad had such a transformation where um, in his life when he came to know Christ, and he started to see what was valuable, what was important, and, and you know, caring about people and loving people, um, but I did learn a lot of work ethic and that drive from, from seeing him, and uh, guys, now we're all dads, you know, it's pretty amazing and pretty incredible to think about that. Uh, What's the biggest joy for, for you guys being a dad? You know, I think it's just that the, the pureness of the love that comes from the kids. Mm -hmm. It's a pure joy. It's a pure love that when they see you in the evening when you come home and um, when you put them down to bed, just that raw, honest love, it just it fills your heart with joy like nothing else. It's awesome. Yeah. I think for me, it's, it's watching them grow and turn into the like young men that my son's turning into, or my daughter as she beats milestones and going through things like that. It brings me, it wells me with a sense of great pride and joy. It makes me happy, just like oh, and I had a direct influence into this, into the way they're going. Which is kind of scary, but has some joy to it at the same time. <laughs> uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge to being a uh, being a dad, being a father? I think it's that realization that 
try so hard to do everything right and to protect and to provide and to love and discipline in, uh, in a godly way, but just knowing that we're not perfect and we're going to make mistakes and being willing to be vulnerable with our kids to say, hey, dad makes mistakes. I've made mistakes in my, in my past. Uh, I'm making mistakes in the present and I'm probably going to make mistakes in the future as well. And hopefully using those mistakes and those things in our past to pass that along to our kids to say, hey, learn from my mistakes. Um, but also know it's okay to fall down every once in a while. And you just got to know you're going to get back up and dust yourself off. And by the grace of God, we're going to move forward. I would agree with that. I mean, it's, I think one of the biggest things that scares me the most is, you know, I have such a big influence on my kids and I want to make sure that, you know, the influence I have is godly influence so when they leave and when they go on with their life that they have this foundation. And my fear is that I'm not doing enough and, and to constantly remind myself, like what Jason said, that, you know, yes, I'm going to make mistakes and it's okay. We can all learn from that together. I do think, like, what you're saying, I, I think we all feel this. Um, is there's this weight of being a dad, you know, being a father, and you're thinking God has entrusted this precious gift, and you know God is sovereign and He's in control, and um, but you want to do it right, and you want to do it well, and and uh, yeah, I think that's that's this burden we carry sometimes, um, but turning our kids over to the Lord even and saying God, you're in control, you know, and I trust you, and and I love them so much, um, and. And God, I am going to make mistakes. I am going to mess up. But, but God, you're going to come through. And, and he does, you know? He does. What do you guys think being a father has taught you about your relationship with your Heavenly Father? Oh, I think, I mean, I, it's a lot. <laughs> you know, I, every time I learn something about being, you know, a father to my son or my daughter, I instantly think back of my Heavenly Father. And, and or his son and everything that, that he tries to teach me. And of course, retrospect is always easier um, when I apply things, something like that, at least for me. So as you sit back and look at the way God's provided for me throughout, the, throughout my life and the, how it's gotten to this point and all that stuff and all that comes from God and all that comes from a Heavenly Father that loves us and the discipline he's put in my life and the, the ways he's taught me valuable lessons that were hard for me to go through at the time, but now I'm like, yeah, I get that. I do the same thing with John Thomas, I and mean, I just try to draw the correlation all the time in my head as I'm disciplining John Thomas or praising John Thomas or I'm proud of John Thomas or Lily. I think it's a great reflection of God's power on us and love on us and discipline on us and the way God cares for us and why he would send his son to pay the ultimate sacrifice so we, we can spend eternity with him. You know, so Jesus can die for our sins and rise again. So we have a way to get to heaven. It's like, I, I think I have a small understanding of that. I don't have a full comprehension, but I think I get a small understanding of that. I just think about how full my heart is of love for my children and my wife. I mean, how much I love them. And to know that my Father, Heavenly Father, loves me that much is beyond my comprehension. It really is. I mean, I love those girls so much. And would do anything for them. Literally. Um, literally do anything for our kids. Yeah. And to know that our Heavenly Father feels that way about me. Yeah. Uh, and I've done nothing to deserve it. <laughs> and can't do anything to deserve it. I'd agree. I think that 
unconditional love. I mean, it's hard to understand that. And then when you have a child and you look and you think, you're holding this baby and this baby could do nothing for me, but I would lay down my life for this baby. And you just think, wow, that, that God would love me that much. You know, it changes your perception of God. It changes from a works-based theology to grace-based because there's nothing we did to earn it. And then there's also nothing we can do to lose it, right? I mean, my, my kids, as much as I love them, if they make mistakes, it's not like I'm going to go, you're not my child anymore. There's nothing they can ever do that, that would make them not be my kid. You know, I'm going to always love them. And, um, and to understand that about God is just goes to a different level. But I think about even this morning when I went in and I kissed someone on the head and told her I loved her and she wasn't awake. She didn't know I was there, but I was there loving her and she didn't even know it. And I think about our Heavenly Father and how He's there in that moment that we don't know He's there. We can't see Him, but He's loving on us and He's watching over us. He's right there with us and we don't even know it. And um, just how awesome that is. I mean, think about that. Jason said he went in to kiss his daughter and she's sound asleep and she, she didn't even know he was there. And isn't that like God? God is right there with you in the fire or when things are great. And that God is standing there and he's for you. He loves you. Never forget that. Live in that confidence that God loves you. Live in that knowledge. Now, I know Father's Day, some, for some people, it's hard, right? I know for some, some of you, you didn't have a great dad growing up. And I'm sorry. And a lot of times we tend to project that onto God, but yet God is perfect. And God loves you more than you even love yourself. And God is always there for you. I was blessed with a great dad growing up. This is my first Father's Day without him here. My dad went home to be with Jesus in January, and I miss him. You know, I do. But what I love is this, is that I know I'll see my dad again one day. Because of the grace of God, because of the gift of Jesus Christ, I know my dad's up there today, and my dad was watching when his granddaughter was baptized this morning. I'm sure he was high-fiving all the angels and just saying, that's my granddaughter, you know. And think about the legacy that he's passing on. And think about what God has entrusted to you. The God of this universe, he loves you. And he's called you to be the man or the woman, and he's put you and given you a sphere of influence. And so the question comes, are you going to live your life for him? Or are you going to bow to the things of the world? Are you willing to take a stand? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Right where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't. But God does. And the same Jesus that was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire is the same Jesus who is with you today. He's with you in your home. He's with you in your workplace. He's with you in your school. He's with you in your marriage. And he is for you. And so I ask you today, would you take a stand for him? Would you say, regardless of the pressure of the world or whatever comes, I'm going to live my life for God. I'm going to be a person of character and integrity. Maybe for you, it, 
God's been speaking to you about baptism, following him, salvation. Maybe for you, God's been speaking to you about getting involved and saying, hey, I need other believers around me. Times are hard and challenging. Maybe for you, God's been calling you to step up in an area at work or at home or in your family. I don't know where you are today, but I know this God is here. And you are a son or a daughter of the perfect Father. And He loves you. So, Father God, here we are. Men and women longing to know you, longing to follow you, longing to find our worth and our value in you and in you alone. God, give us the courage and the boldness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, call us to stand. When it seems like everybody else in the world is bowing to the idols of culture, God, let us stand. Because our obedience to you impacts others. It impacts our children, our marriage, or our future marriage, or our roommates. It impacts generations. So let us be men and women after your heart. Oh God, find us faithful. Whether we're in the fire or whether things are great, Father, find us faithful. You are a good, good Father. And right now we worship and respond back to you.